I'm thinking to myself, I had a little experience with guns by then, that there's no way he would have handed me a loaded shotgun cocked barrel first when he gave it to me, right? So I'm in my room, I hold it at my hip and I pull the trigger and it goes off. Blows a hole through four of the dorm room walls. Welcome to the Our Father Stories podcast, where we share stories of ordinary people experiencing the kingdom of God in everyday life. My name is Nate Paragoy, and I'm one of the pastors here at Our Father Lutheran Church in South Denver, where our mission is helping ordinary people know and share extraordinary life in Christ. I'm joined on this episode, as always, by my good friend and my co-host, Pastor Micah Steiner. How are you doing today, buddy? Well, listen, things are looking up. Really? Because I think I've just experienced an episode of Fitzcarraldo. <laughs> Fitzcarraldo? Yeah. Did you say Geraldo? Fitzcarraldo. Okay. According to the thoughtcatalog.com, uh, it's an image that somehow becomes lodged deep in your brain, maybe washed there by a dream or smuggled inside a book, or planted during a casual conversation, which then grows into a wild and impractical vision that keeps scrambling back and forth in your head all day long like a dog stuck in a car that's about to arrive home, just itching for a chance to leap headlong into reality. Whoa. That's how I'm feeling. Fitzcarraldo. If you don't get anything out of the rest of this episode, you've just learned one new thing. Thoughtcatalog.com. Michael, we've got a great guest. Uh, this is a good friend of ours and a longtime member of our father. Uh, tell us about Eric. Yeah, Eric's a wonderful dude. You're going to get to know him really well. Key leader in our church, but he also has an incredible story of being far from God and God never stopped pursuing him, stopping to pursue him, bringing him into a faith relationship that has led into leadership. So uh, I think you're really going to enjoy hearing Eric's story. We hope that this episode becomes a Fitz Corrado for you. Oh, Nate. And uh, stick around for the end because you'll hear a couple key takeaways and what we want you to make sure that you walk away with as we wrap up this episode. Let's check it out. Uh, I'm Eric Boehm. Me and my wife, Donna, have been members here at Our Father since 2013. And we live out in Southeast Aurora. We have three grown kids and four grandkids, four granddaughters now. So... Growing up, I had 13 schools in 14 years, uh, bounced between divorced parents, mom, dad, and my dad's parents, my grandparents. They did most of the raising of me. And that's where I got my Lutheran background from was my grandparents. Uh, In Nebraska? Nope, here in Colorado. Um, They went to church every Sunday. My grandfather was a World War II vet. Uh, I never heard the man utter a four-letter word in his entire life. A uh, very strong Christian man, hard worker. Very thankful for both of them for what they did for me and my brother. But, you know, 13 schools in 14 years uh, will really bounce you around a lot. So because of that, it was, you know, rough growing up. So I was not always a good kid. Got into trouble a lot, especially in high school. Um, high school was really kind of really dark years. Can you tell the story of, didn't you bring a gun to school? What's the shotgun story that you got in trouble with the shotgun? I just remember that. <laughs> so my mom on her third marriage married a guy when I was living with her at the time, and they decided to move to Nebraska. 
North Platte. So we were there about two years. I was going to an ELCS church there. Back then, I didn't know the difference between the different synods. And so the church there, there was two of us that got confirmed. Um, and what we had to do for our confirmation was sit in front of the congregation, and the pastor had 100 questions that he asked us. So anyway, the, that church raised money to send me off to a private ELCA high school in Waco, Nebraska. And if you're listening to this, ELCA, that's one of our other Lutheran denominations within kind of primarily America, another bigger one. American Lutheranism, yeah. Yeah. So being in the heartland of Nebraska, the town had about 75 people. Um, The town church was the gymnasium for the school. So the boys' dorm was literally on the edge of a cornfield. So me and a couple guys decided we were going to go pheasant hunting one Saturday. So I borrowed a shotgun from the principal's son. And just your typical, your typical day in in Nebraska. Yeah. (laughs) So he, he lends me the shotgun the day before I take it back to my room and I notice that it's cocked. Um, and it's over under 410. So I try to work the action to try to pop it open. It doesn't open. So I'm thinking to myself, I had a little experience with guns by then that there's no way he would have handed me a loaded shotgun cocked barrel first when he gave it to me, right? So I'm in my room, I hold it at my hip and I pull the trigger and it goes off. Blows a hole through four of the dorm room walls. It was a good thing, it was a late Friday night. Nobody was in their rooms. Right. Um, but yeah, that was pretty scary. You get in trouble for that? Well, yeah. <laughs> Principal was ready to kick me out. Didn't believe that his son handed me a shotgun loaded. He thought I loaded it and shot the wall myself. Mm. I pulled out the shell. I said, this is it. He was very mad, went home, came back, apologized to me then later saying, all right, that is one of our shells. Well, yeah. So, so anyway, moved back home. Um, high school was bad years. But when I was living with my grandparents, I was going to youth. Um, and that was probably my only really bright moment for high school because I had three different high schools growing up. Um, and Nathan Eichmann was the DCE of my youth at the time. Get at, out. At Ascension Lutheran. And, and if you're listening to this, Nathan's a member of this church. Yes, he is. DCE. Yeah. Like old school DCE. That's really cool. I didn't realize you had a connection. Okay, yes. keep going. So. Fast forward a little bit quicker. I'm in and out of trouble. Um, uh, went to jail once. Um, so I decided the path I'm on is a very destructive path. So I joined the Marines. I figured, I thought I was pretty tough, you know, fourth generation Marine. I got to get out of the rut I'm in. So I joined the Marines. Um, I only had a background of being raised Lutheran, but I really was not walking. But when you're in the military and they make your dog tags up and I brought a pair, they ask you what religion you want at the very bottom. Well, I put Lutheran because that's the only thing I'd known. Hmm. I I didn't know they did that actually. Yeah. And they still do it today. You can put uh, uh, no preference. Um, Is is this so like, this is going to sound like I'm not being serious, but is this like you, you get 
wounded and you're on the you're gonna yes. die so they have like the proper 100 percent. okay yes. yeah that's what that's kind of the ultimate purpose yeah. Huh? yeah kuwait happens desert storm happens i get sent i'm on the front lines um come back from that so between the ptsd and that i struggled pretty hard drinking pretty hard uh still wasn't going to church um living back here back in colorado no when i was still in the marines because I still had a year and a half left okay. in the Marines. So it was kind of a rough time. Uh, got demoted once. Um, so I get out in 92, come back home. And because of how I was raised and how much trouble I was in, but the only shining, happy memories I really had of high school was youth. I went back to Ascension where Nathan was still the DCE and I talked to him about volunteering for the high school youth there mm -hmm. because I thought it was something for me as a troubled kid and maybe there may be another kid like me coming through and this is, might be their only thing that is positive for them. So I wanted to do that. I wanted to give back and help out the youth with... Um, with that because it was something that I did. So I did that at Ascension. Oh, I, I, that's where I met Donna. Uh, so we got married at Ascension. Uh, three kids later, we had all our kids baptized at Ascension. Um, then I moved way out to Aurora and that was a long drive to come to Ascension every Sunday. Well, at that time, Nathan, believe it or not, had retired as a DCE moved out and was becoming a choir director at Mount Olive. Just a normal, typical career <laughs> path, youth leader to choir director, yeah. Go, go back to, when did, when did it first click? Like when did the Holy Spirit get a hold of you and you're just like, man, I, I'm a sinner, I, I, I need to get back into God's grace. Like, what, was it a gradual progression? Was it? it? It was a gradual. I did have an aha moment, but it was, it was a gradual progression. Tell us about the aha moment. So the aha moment ca actually came from a book from um, a couple Baptist pastors called the Left Behind series. Um, I read all the books. The books are really good. It's a great story. Um, but it was the very first book, and it's not so much of the whole um, being left behind type of thing, but I started questioning my faith. I was like, am I just window dressing my faith? Hmm. I come to church. I give God my Sunday. I help out with the youth. You know, so I'm doing, I'm checking the boxes is what I'm doing. And I read that book and, you know, they're big into the rapture and stuff like that. And I was just like, if I died today, do I really have a relationship with God? So I went to the senior pastor, Jeff Scherrier, and me and him had a good, long, two-hour talk about that. And I'm like, I think I'm missing the whole message here. I know it, but I'm missing it. And that really got me looking into the Bible, and I was listening more to the sermons. Uh, I started taking notes in my Bible at that time. Um, and it was... I mean, there was times it was bringing me to tears, some of the things, um, thinking that before this moment here, 
understanding the grace that there was nothing that I could do, even though I was thinking I was doing what I needed to, that without that relationship, that true you know, understanding and accepting Jesus, if I would have died up to that point, I don't know if I had a relationship and I had given my heart to Jesus to where I was going to be saved. I, I didn't understand what it truly meant to be saved up to that point. What was your understanding prior to that? Uh, just going to church, just believing that Jesus is the Son of God. And I know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. Anyone. And I just thought, well, you know, that's all I need to know. You know, I'm going to do this Christian thing, and then the rest of the time is going to be my time. And so it's still it's still law based. You're still you're still in a uh, I'm going to church. I'm covered. That, yes. That's a law approach to salvation. Yeah, I know. I know who Jesus is. I yeah. know who the Father is. I know a little bit about the Spirit. That's was very still fuzzy a little bit. Um, and I thought, oh, that's that's all I need to know. But the devil knows who Jesus is too, right? Yeah. Well, that that's a good rabbit hole to go down because that that's the one advantage of a of a book series like Left Behind. the The law has the power to break up our heart and to make us aware of the need for the gospel. And that's I think that's the whole point of that book is like, hey, you could die and be eternally separated from God. Do you want that or not? Where a book like that may fail is actually articulating the gospel. Right. And that to me it sounds like what happened to you is finally the gospel got a hold of you. And it's like, forget this work stuff. It's the gospel is much nicer. The <laughs> yes. gospel is much better because it's, it's not up to me, it's up to Jesus. Correct. Because, you know, bet, going back to the question at hand, like, yeah, that's all it takes. You do only have to have faith in Jesus. That is the salvation recipe faith in Jesus. Are you saying, uh, Micah, that there's like a way to know about God? I heard you use that word. I knew who God was. But there was a point in my life where it shifted where I knew him. Didn't know about him. I knew him. Right. And yeah. knew his grace for me. And it wasn't what I had to do. It was knowing him and what he had done for me. It became more real. More living at that point. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just a time constraint on Sunday, a time constraint on Wednesday. It was an every minute of every day relationship with him. And it really was, you know not to use this too much, but it was the scales falling off my eyes, like for Paul. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I have been missing it all this time. Now, back in the Marines, I was the only guy that would go to worship service. You know, in, in the military, they offer two different types of services. You have Catholic or you have Protestant. So I would go to the Protestant service from time to time. And when we were in Saudi Arabia, I was the only guy in my whole platoon that ever attended any of the services. Oh. But I was doing it out of habit because that's what I was raised to go to church. You know, you're supposed to go to church. All good Lutherans are supposed to go to church, right? So all those times I was doing that, I was not digesting what was going on. I was just, I just kept checking boxes. It's not, man, we could talk the whole time about this because now, yeah. now it's got no. me thinking like, well, at the same time, what, who's to say that if you didn't go check the box and that, that you would have completely lost your faith, that you would have completely walked away. But 
what God was giving you in those moments were these little checkpoints, these little, not done with you, Eric. You're still with me, Eric. And I, you could argue that, yeah, you were still going through the motion, but it was actually God who was putting this in your path and his spirit pushing you in that direction. You know, you see those parents with little kids and they've got like the leashes on them when they're in the mall and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that might have, yeah, how, how you exactly. describe that, that might have been me and God holding me with a leash. He's letting me trip downstairs. He's letting me, you know, run over here, but he still would pull me back a little bit. What's the Mike Myers skit from SNL back in the day? Hyper hypo? I'm a hyper hypo. Because Mike Myers is eating chocolate and he's all. Uh, thank you for baptizing that, uh, the use of that tool. Because I've, <laughs> I've used it as a parent myself and I've very mixed emotions about yeah. Yeah. <laughs> PTSD as a parent. I've, I was think I, this is probably a bad analogy, but it actually got me thinking of when Amanda and I were dating, I wasn't, people would ask me all the time, are you guys going to get married? What's going on? And I didn't know. I truly didn't. I, I knew I liked her, loved her even. But like marriage, that's a big commitment. And then all of a sudden, it literally clicked for me. It, like in an instant, I knew, oh, I'm going to marry her. And the relationship shifted and changed. And I knew her. But all of a sudden, I am in love with her. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with her. Hmm. And that's kind of how I heard you describe your, your Jesus relationship. Yes. And... Meeting Donna, because I was, like I said, even after I got out of the Marines, still in a very, very bad way. I was helping out with kids. Um, but meeting Donna and both of us going to church, she got baptized with uh, Eric. And watching that progression happen also, I think, was God saying, okay, you're the leader of this family now. You need to lead them to know me. And with her getting baptized, because I was going to church doing the motions, but it was helping her to learn. And then, because she was a single mom, um, and then leading her son, which I have now adopted, to know and love God like me. Um, it, it's funny looking back now from this vantage point through my life and just seeing these different things as they're happening and God's plan 30, 40 years ago, I'd have been like, God doesn't have a plan for me. How, how can he use me? How can he use me? I'm a broken person. I have a very checkered past. I don't like women right now. How can he use me? I'm going to help these kids if there's some trouble kids, but how can he use me? I look back now, I'm like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Which it makes you an effective uh, minister. I mean, we, we, you're, you're not an ordained pastor, but you pastor a lot of kids. Uh, so maybe let's shift to that. Uh, your ministry now, uh, how, how does your past inform your your ministry to kids? I see some of the kids, they're a little more rowdy, a little more rambunctious, uh, and I have a lot more grace for them, knowing that that's just a phase they're going through, that, you know, kids are inquisitive, they're rebellious a little bit, they kind of are wild, um, and a adolescent sort of way. 
Um, and I can see that, and I know that I can bring things to them through a different angle that they may understand. Like Wednesday, uh, I had two boys. We sat in the hallway, and we had some phenomenal discussions about uh, the little wooden boy. And I know that some of that that we talked about really resonated with them because I was able to show them how they were the ones putting the dots on people at times or stars. Not that they were receiving them, but they were also the ones putting those on. And for context, we're talking about, what's the name of that book, the Max Licata book? Uh, I think it's You Are Special. You Are Special, yeah. yeah. Which is a great book. If you're listening to this, and it's a kid's book, and it's a book that every single person should have on their shelf. I agree. Because it's a great gospel. Getting down to your, your identity as a beloved child. So before I arrived here almost 10 years ago, Micah, you had created, um, reshaped the way we do confirmation and student ministry in high school too, to have like a large group teaching time and then a small group kind of time that follows that with mentors. And Eric, you and Donna have been mentors as long as I've been here. I mean, you've said, you know, now my kids are, or now that your kids are grown, like I still want to be a part of this. And, uh, you know, God forbid you should ever move away because we won't ever let that happen. <laughs> yeah, a, you, you and Donna have been a bedrock part of our student ministry forever. Why are you still saying yes to showing up on Wednesdays with our kids? In today's world, kids are being attacked from so many different directions now. And now we have this little device that they can carry around. And most kids keep them 24-7. They keep that closer to them than they keep their friends. And with all of these fingers coming in on these kids, now more than ever, they need strong adults that are willing to come up next to them, put your arm around them and say, it's all right. You can still be a kid. You can be a Christian in today's world. It's all right. Things are going to be bad. People are going to poo-poo what you believe. It's all right, because God loves you, and nothing that anybody can ever say or do to you will ever change that. And to have someone, I'm, I'm not saying I'm the Fonz, I'm Mr. Cool Guy, <laughs> but I do have some background to where they can look at me like, well, he was in the Marines, he did this, you know. He's a real guy. I am a real guy. Yeah. It's cool to believe in God, because I'm doing it. I have a bunch of Marine buddies that are pretty rowdy. They still rally around me. These guys still now, they, they call me up today and say, you're my captain. Mm-hmm. I was a PFC, but... That's private first class, Nate. I don't, I don't know if you I was, that. I was trying to work yeah. that out in my yeah. head. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. being grounded and rooted in God's grace allows me to show these kids, it's cool. It can be cool to believe in God. Until I get too old and too irrelevant, I'll, I'll keep. <laughs> well, doing you did. That. You did use the Fonz as your. Uh, <laughs> so we might be there, babe. Uh, I also have heard you say before, Eric, that the missional community is is a big part of your life, and you and Donna run a missional community out of your house. Uh, let's. W- would you tell the story of uh, during COVID, during the pandemic, how you guys ministered to your neighborhood? Sure. Um, I do want to give a shameless plug real quick to the uh, um, discipleship that we did. Um, 
I was in your group with that. Mm -hmm. And that was before we started MCs. And as we were getting done, the MCs were just getting ready to kick off when we were finishing up our two-year thing. And you approached me and you're like, well, I might want you to lead a huddle. Um, but I was already thinking, you know, an MC might be a little bit more in my wheelhouse. Um, so with that help from those huddles, um, that helped me decide, and I talked to Donna about this, and she was all for it, uh, decided to start an MC. Before and, you go any further, you're using some kind of church buzzwords that we kind of throw around at our father a little bit. Micah, you're our director of missional living. What's a huddle? What's an MC missional community? Just give us a quick like. Yep. Huddle is a leadership development process. It's a nine-month commitment, meeting weekly, so it is a big commitment. The goal of that is to reproduce what Jesus does in your heart in the lives of others, whether that's leading another huddle, leading a missional community, discipling somebody in your own family. Versus a missional community, or MC for short, that is a place to live out your faith in Christian community. So we gather together for a meal, we gather together for prayer, we also then go out, and every missional community has their own mission that they're uh, working on. Okay, so having heard those terms, sorry, Eric, now let's go back to yeah. you. You approached Donna, and she said, yeah. Yeah. So what was that, 2017 late that started, yeah. 2018? Something like that. So we live kind of far away from church, and uh, we thought, well, is there even going to be enough members out here to join our hut, right? Lo and behold, there was definitely plenty of members that live out in Southeast Aurora. We even have one family that comes all the way from West Denver, comes out to our huddle. Missional community. Uh, missional community. Thank you. I had huddle on the brain for a minute. And so we have been meeting regularly since 2018. Even through COVID, we all, and I, I gave it their option, do you still want to come together? or not. And I think probably two months we met via Zoom. Um, but our group was just like, no, we feel comfortable enough to still get together, which was a good thing because God had something in plan for our huddle at that point. Missional community. Golly. You just, <laughs> we were in a missional community that, or miss, now I'm saying, <laughs> yeah, we were in a huddle that was so great. Yes. I mean, I look back on those years with fondness. Two, that was a two-year huddle, too. Yeah, that was when we were doing it old school. Yes. Like, big time. You can edit this. Mm -hmm. Did, didn't they call us the whiskey huddle? <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> no, yes. let's keep that in. Uh, <laughs> those are good times. That was good times. We had some bourbon. So our MC was getting together during COVID, and it was early on. It was like March of 2020 when things were really shutting down. And I talked to Donna and I'm like, you know, there's probably on the Nextdoor app, there's probably people that may need someone to pick up some groceries for them, right? They may be older. They may be afraid. Uh, they may have young kids that they, they don't want to take out to expose them during that time. So with Donna approval, she's like, yeah, we can maybe go pick people up or we can just go do shopping for them. I put that out there on the Nextdoor app. And... It got lambasted with people saying, oh, it's a great idea. We can help. We can help. We can help. We can do this. Now, mind you, this was just something we were just going to try to do for a few people, you know, here and there in our off time. Well, people started bringing us donations. 
people we'd never met. They started just dropping bags and bags of food off at our front porch. They started coming by and dropping envelopes off with two, three, four hundred dollars in it. So this goes on for about three weeks. So I'm putting it out on the Nextdoor app. Hey, we've got some food. We got some help. You know, we'll just bring you. Just, just talk to us about it. Nothing. Crickets. So I remember one Saturday coming. It was early April. Walking down the steps of my house. And my whole living room looked like a small grocery store. We had so much food. And I didn't know what we were going to do with it. So I'm sitting there. Donna was on one of her walks. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at all this food going, I wonder if there's a food bank maybe we can bring this food to, right? So I thought, all right, this is going to be my one last effort to try to distribute it ourselves. I got onto Facebook Marketplace. I took a couple pictures of the food that we had, and I put it on Facebook Marketplace. And I said, we have food available, food baskets, if you are in need. And I posted it. And about 10 minutes later, my phone started blowing up. I mean, request after request after request after request. They were coming in so fast and fish. And I'm sitting there by myself going, oh, uh, uh, <laughs> what do I do? So I grabbed a notepad. And from the very first person, I started writing their name down. And I would send a message back. How many people are in your family? Do you have any kids? And so I would write that down. And we had like a base. You know, people were donating soups, donating mac and cheese, donating spaghetti noodles and spaghetti sauces. We had a boatload of that stuff. So we started making that as our base for every box. We were getting toilet paper the whole time. When no one else could find it, it was coming to my house. So we'd put toilet paper in and, and so I would started telling, okay, you got to come pick it up. This is my address. Pretty soon here comes a stream of cars until we were out of food. So I went, okay, thank you, God. You know, you got rid of all this food for me. I didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah. Right. Wipe your hands, you're done. Done. Yeah. Right. We, we never thought we were going to open up a food bank. That wasn't our intention at all. So this is Saturday. Sunday, people are texting, hey, uh, we got some food we want to donate to you. Okay. People started then Monday, hey, I'm on my way home from work. Where do you live? I've got $200 I want to give to this. <laughs> Okay, this started going on every week. Pretty soon the neighbors started, and we would only open it on Saturday. It was first come, first serve until the food was gone. So the neighbors started noticing what we were doing. So the neighbors started coming up. Hey, are you feeding people? I'm like, yeah, am I in trouble? They're like, no, we want to donate. They're like, well, what are you doing it for? Because God told me to. I don't know. This just keeps happening. Hmm. So then the neighbors started getting involved. The MC, because this first was just me and Donna. And this was too big for us. So then I'm like, hey, MC, you're our immediate family. This is what's going on. We need help. So then they started coming over, helping us Saturday morning early, uh, organize stuff, helping to uh, distribute it. There were some people, sometimes it said, I'm homebound. Is there any way you can deliver some? So then we would have a couple members of our MC. We will go deliver some food. So then they started making deliveries. This went on for almost five months. Saturday would go. There was no food left Sunday, Monday. Sometimes it went as late as Thursday. 
And I'd be like, okay, then it's done. I Fill up the whole it. living room again. By Saturday, we were given out 40, 50, 60 food baskets. So we were talking before the filming here, recording, tell everybody the story of the, the aftermath. You know, you don't always get to experience the fruit. Right. So when we were taking our baskets out to the individuals, I was, because I, we kind of huddled with our MC before I hit the go button, because once the go button happened, it was crazy. And we would pray, and I, would, I told them, I said, whoever takes a basket out, ask if you can pray for them. So we were not only just taking the food, then we were also praying for them when we were taking the food out. Well, then we even took it another step farther, and we were writing. We had our high schoolers and our junior hires writing inspirational notes, and we were sticking one note per group of food we were taking out to families. Well, that started touching people as much as the food. So about a year and a half ago, long after the food bank had ended, um, I'm on parish council, and it's uh, Tuesday before a meeting, and I had like 50 minutes. All day I was thinking about this. Okay, I got 50 minutes. I got to get home. I got to dig up my sprinkler box. I have time to do this before I go to uh, uh, the meeting. So I have my shovel out. I got my tarp out. I'm ready to go. Shovel's on the ground. I, got, I actually got my foot on the spade getting ready to put it in the ground. And a car pulls up and blocks my driveway. So I'm looking at it and I'm going, well, I hope he doesn't get out. Door opens up. Guy gets out and starts walking my way. So I put the shovel down and I kind of meet him halfway. He puts his hand out and he introduces himself to me. I, for the life of me, can't remember his name. And he starts talking to me and he goes, do you remember me? No, should I? He goes, I came here for the food bank a couple times and I was in such desperate need of what you were giving me. And he said, and one of the times I came, I got a little card that had some inspirational quotes in it from the Bible. And at this point, he starts, um, he starts crying. And I'm like, okay. So he proceeds then to uh, say, he just came from King Supers himself. And he's seen this lady and he said, God told me to go up and pray for her. So he goes up and he starts praying for this lady, right? And King Supers. And this was like 10 minutes before he came to my house. And he's, he's just crying the whole time. And he goes, that food bank really changed my life. And he said, that note was a note from God to remind me that I'm his. And I'm like, okay, you know? So for like 45 minutes, me and him are talking back and forth. And then he's kind of a funny guy. Um, he goes, I, I want to pray right now. So I'm like, you know, absolutely. So, you know, I bow my head and, you know, I grab his hand and, and the whole time his head's up and he's just looking and he's just talking. And, it, you know, I got my head down. I got my eyes closed. And I'm like, that's kind of a funny sound of prayer. And I look up, you know, and it's almost like he was just talking, right? Just about random stuff still. And so I'm like, okay, all right. Are you praying or are you still just talking with me? So then he says, amen. So I'm like, well, I want to pray for you. So then I prayed for him. And like I said, this took about 45 minutes. Um, and then he's walking back to his car at this time. And he goes, oh, the whole reason I stopped was because I wanted to know if your car was for sale. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no. And he waved at me and got in his car and I drove away.
But it was amazing because, you know, like me and you were talking, Micah, we do things and we plant the seeds and we're not always around then to harvest afterwards. And it was just neat to see this guy come back and how we had touched him a year and a half earlier with this food bank that we never decided that we wanted to run. Um, came up and just talked to me about that. I've mentioned this before, and we, I don't know, a lot on this podcast, but my idea of what heaven's probably going to be like is, is these kind of stories every day. You know, you're going to get a tap on your shoulder and be like, man, you, we never knew each other, but you, when you were on earth, you went and you gave this food bank and my dad became a Christian as a result of that. Now my, this whole legacy of faith uh, is going, and I'm in heaven three generations afterwards because of that. Mm-hmm. And you think of us, we're planting churches in Honduras and the, we're, we're, we're meeting our neighbors here on earth and we'll never see all the fruit of that stuff. But in heaven, when we've got the time and we've got the open fellowship of our table, people are knocking on our door every day. Hey, you don't know this, but and I, I think that's really a lot of people are like, you're gonna be bored in heaven. No, you're not. No. You're gonna be having these conversations daily. It's gonna be a celebration. You know, I think that's one of the reasons why I love this podcast is that we get to talk with folks like you, Eric, and hear your story and about how God's up to those things right now. You know, that's really the name of it, stories. Yeah. It's funny. I was getting ready for Bible class this Sunday, and there's a a missionary I'd never heard of before. Uh, It was like Francis Gardner. He was a British Navy officer, fought against the Americans in the War of 1812, got kind of famous with that and thought he was going to be a Navy captain, ends up losing his faith. He was a Christian. Uh, then some personal tragedy happened. That kind of brings him back into faith. Mm-hmm. Then he's like, well, God's called me to be a missionary. He was the most unsuccessful missionary in the history of missionaries. Fails in Africa. Fails in South America. Fails in America, where everybody was a Christian at that point, like early 1800s. Fails. Failure, failure, failure. One last-ditch effort raises 1,000 pounds to go to the very southern tip of South America, uh, fails there, shipwreck, and him and six other dudes died of, of uh, starvation. But they know all this because he kept a journal, and his very last journal entry, he's praising God for his faithfulness. Mm. And, and he's praying that God would watch over his family, and he's talking about this joy that he has, this incalculable joy, even though he's facing his deathbed, and I was reading this, and I kind of got teary. I was like, man, my faith that strong? I hope it is. The whole point of that whole story is he was the most unsuccessful missionary ever in real time. But that journal that he kept basically inspired this mission society that was started to go back to that part of the world in South America. And now there are literally millions of Christians that know the name of Jesus because of his failure over and over and over again. And yet his faithfulness of never doubting God's goodness in his life and putting it down. I mean, they found this journal in his dead hands. Like a year and a half later, they found his body and his hands wrapped around this journal. And I'm, I was just like, read that. Go, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that, you know, that's, again, that's, that's that picture of heaven that, that it's going to be like that we can't even imagine. Um, and I, I, I appreciate your story, Eric, because it, it reminds anybody listening, you may not feel like you're the strongest Christian right now. You may not feel like you've got a lot to offer, but it's that simple faith and trust in, that Jesus is directing you. 
um, that's going to be the most powerful thing that you can grasp onto and see how God can use that. You know, Eric, this episode debuts right at the time where the church is celebrating the Reformation and the gospel of Jesus that changed the last 500 years of church history. You know, if you could go back and tell a younger version of yourself something about grace, what would you say to Eric? Well, I'd probably tell myself that this is real, that the grace that God gives is something that is not earned, that you don't have to try to go out there and impress other people or impress church workers, that this is something that's in bet- uh, between you and God alone, and that not to give up. Don't give up hope ever. Things are going to come by that are going to be very bad. But remember that it's all part of God's plan, and He's got you in His hands, and He is not going to let you go. He's not going to give up on you that he's got something for you and he's going to protect you because he loves you. Eric, I think that's a great place for us to finish today. And I want to thank you so much, uh, not only for sharing your story, but it's just so good to be your friend. Thanks, brother. Yeah, thank you guys. You know, Mike, as we were talking to Eric, it struck me that um, we were talking to somebody who's really invested in the life and the mission of our Father Lutheran Church. Somebody who served in a leadership role, somebody who's volunteered with student ministry, somebody who leads a missional community, has been in a discipleship huddle. Uh, I think you said a moment ago off camera or off mic, uh, if only like we could have a thousand Eric and Donna Bames, that'd be really cool. Uh, what was a takeaway for you, something that jumped out at you from our conversation? I really like the idea of somebody listening to this and going, well, I could never be Eric Bame. I could never be a pastor. I could never do. And I would say in, in my head, I'm going, yeah, you can. Uh, not because you, you're going to muster up the strength. You're going to be this awesome person, but because the Holy Spirit is going to help you do the things that you're, you feel incapable of doing. And that's what I heard from Eric the most was like the story of brokenness, emptiness, um, lack of fulfillment and purpose. And he didn't do anything to earn that and get it back. God did that. God was at work. And so if God's at work at BAME and God's going to be doing that to BAME's life, he can certainly do the same thing in your life. Hmm. Yeah, that's cool. I will say um, like that story you told about the missionary, um, it was really, really meaningful to me in my vocation as a pastor, but more broadly about all the work that we do. It's never in vain. Yeah. Uh, like Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Um, you know, for me, oh, by the way, I was wondering during that part of the conversation, like, where is the church father reference? We didn't get any of those today. <laughs> Doggone it. Uh, but we did get a missionary story that was cool. If you can quote, um, a church father before we wrap, that'd be nice. I got, I got one. Um, okay. Uh, for me, what jumped out was, you know, his advice to his younger self and about resting in grace and knowing who you are and knowing how God works through you, even when you can't see it. Uh, we said goodbye to Eric after, um, we finished the recording with him 
And as we were saying goodbye, I was just telling him, Eric, you're somebody who seems very comfortable in your own skin. You know, God's been mm-hmm. shaping you, informing you. And that's one of the things I really admire about him. And, and Donna, too, his wife. They're great people. If he was a church father, he would be St. Nicholas. You know the story of Nicholas at the Council of Nicaea? Uh, no, I don't, but I would love to know more. I know, I know a different St. Nicholas. Well, that St. Nicholas is based off this St. Nicholas, if, if my history is correct. And St. Nicholas, the church father, was so upset at Arian because this whole Arian controversy that was happening. He wasn't so jolly? Is that what you're telling he me? He was not so jolly. He punched him in the face. There was, there was all the church fathers, all the bishops of the entire world were gathered together, and Nicholas whomped on Arian. And I, he reminds me of Bame, because you know that Bame, if he wanted to, he could throw down a hard punch. Yeah, he's pretty, yeah, he's a tough dude. Yeah, so Bame, if you're listening still, uh, you are my St. Nicholas. Yeah, and if you want to know about the Arian controversy, uh, and you have no idea what that meant, uh, Mike is your guy to talk to. Let's do some Googling Absolutely. together. Uh, what's somebody that, or what's something that somebody who's listening to this should know or do. We heard about student ministry. We heard about missional communities. Micah, what do you want our listeners to know about those things? Yeah, we've got openings right now in in many of our missional communities. There are spots, and we've got them in Aurora, like with the Bames, Centennial, Littleton, a a little bit further west. So if you'd like to learn more about missional communities, you can go to the website, oflc.net, and on the top, you'll see a tab that says Live. Just scroll down there, hit Missional Communities, learn all about it. You can sign up right there as well. And you heard Eric describe a little bit of his life as a confirmation mentor. I'm the primary confirmation teacher and work with Eric and a dozen other mentors every Wednesday night. So if that's something you've ever thought about doing, I'd love to talk to you about that in either middle school years or with high school age kids. Uh, It makes such a difference uh, in the lives of our kids to know there's somebody who showed up every week, who believes in them, who loves them and showing up so that they can know Jesus more deeply. If that resonates with you when you're listening to this, I'd love to talk to you too. Sign up. Uh, We've been doing a lot of talking. We thank you for listening to this episode of Our Father Stories. And for more stories just like this one, go to ourfatherlutheran.net slash stories.